Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Podcast. I'm your host, Jill Manoff, and today I sit down with Meg Strachan, founder and CEO of three-year-old jewelry brand, Dorsey. Meg launched the brand after working for 15 years in marketing and e-commerce for brands including Bandier, Anina Bing, and Girlfriend Collective. I wanted to ask her about the motivation to go it alone, as well as the strategies she used to grow it to a seven-figure business in two years. Welcome, Meg. Hi. Hi. So happy you're here, especially during this busy time. You just told me about a launch, and I want to hear all about it. What's launching today? This morning, we launched our Fall one campaign for 2022, one of three campaigns, and we shot it on Erin Wasson in Paris about three weeks ago. So it's a, it's very exciting to have it live today. We've had an incredible reaction so far, and uh, I've been a huge fan of Erin's for over well over a decade. Following, you know, frankly everything she, that she's done. So. She's uh, she's really the ultimate Dorsey muse. So I'm I'm very excited to to have it live. As all campaigns are always a very big lift. I mean, congratulations. P.S. I feel like I was ahead of the times because I was researching for in preparation <laughs> for this interview, and I saw her on your site, and then I was like, why isn't she on their Instagram? And I was going to ask because I'm with you. Erin Watson's my all-time favorite. Like, tell me about why she was chosen. Um, was it about? I'm sure her following had something to do with it because I saw that while while prepping again that she had just shared this on her on her Instagram. But um, yeah, tell me why her. Erin actually started as a customer, so she started ordering. I think she ordered. I think when I looked back if, about two months ago, she ordered our Kate necklace and lab grown white sapphire in 18 inches. And, uh, I was scrolling through orders, looking for something. I happened to have noticed her order and, uh, that's sort of the original way that I started thinking about bringing her into the brand because she was already a fan. But I, I, I mean, I have, I have pin, full Pinterest boards of, of Aaron from, um, from the last 10 years, I would say. Uh, to me, Erin is the, she's sort of the original street style model off duty, uh, woman. And she's, she's just so brilliantly herself. She's also a massive jewelry fan. She had her own jewelry line several years ago. And I had always wanted to shoot on her. In fact, a good friend of mine said to me when I was first starting the brand, you know, who, who are some of the women you'd love to wear Dorsey? And I said, I mean, Erin, Erin Lawson. The other thing about Erin is she's really a creative director, especially being on set with her now. You know, we met, uh, over the past six months over Zoom a few times to talk about the campaign and how we wanted to shoot and sort of my, my style as a creative director. Um, you know, we don't do large scale production shoots. We certainly, you know, when, when you're shooting outside of the country and you're bringing a team along, uh, it's, a, it's, it's very different. So we spend a lot of time and preparation and, um, you know, I, we, we just collaborated what was I wanting to shoot and, and where, and she was just an incredible partner and what a, what a lovely woman to work alongside too. Totally. On your Pinterest board of Erin Watson, do you, do you have her in this t-shirt that says, if you ain't a cowboy, you ain't shit. I have that one on mine. <laughs> I actually, 
actually don't, but now I'm going to, but now I'm going to look for it. Yeah. You know, it was kind of fascinating. So I think when people think of Aaron, they think of, they think a little bit Western and the cowboy boot and she's, she's, you know, she's refined, but she's really got that Texas, you know, Texan feel to her. And of course, a lot of, a lot of people think of the Venice version of Aaron Wasson and what I, what I really loved about this campaign is that this is Aaron Wasson in Paris. This is French Aaron Wasson. This is sort of, you know, she she moved to France with her husband, who's French, um, I think mid pandemic, and uh, it was it was really fascinating to hear from her side what her life is now and sort of the things that she's doing, even how she relates to fashion. And uh, I had a lot of, I, I still style all of our shoots to this day. So we just had, we had a really great time sort of, you know, I had a good time doing the polls and then working with her on set. And the way that I style is that I bring a rack of clothing and then I'm, and jewelry trays. And then I, we sort of say, you know, look, I, I said to her, I want you to wear this the way that you would wear this, not the way that I would wear it or that I think you should wear it. So here's the trays. And we, you know, stood on a parish street and she, you know, put in, you know, the earrings that she would wear and she layered the necklaces she would wear. And, and then we sort of dressed her and I'd say, does this feel like you? Is it this jacket? And we judge the sleeve. And, you know, that's, that's really how shoots, how shoots, uh, our shoots come together. So it's, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, um, especially hearing about her career and all the things that she's, that she's done. I mean, I would, it sounds like such a fun, creative process. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. It sounds amazing. Um, tell me about what happens today, like all shots fired, what this launch looks like in terms of platforms, like what else is happening? So we release at the almost the same time across all platforms. Um, we'll release a, across text message, email, um, Paid ads will go up tomorrow. We actually don't launch paid ads until 24 hours after a, cam- a campaign goes live, sometimes up to three or four days because uh, it, it's more sort of, well, I guess the best way to say it is that uh, paid ads will sometimes take credit for sales they didn't drive. So I always wait to launch our paid ads to see what does our consumer base naturally drive outside of having, you know, a paid platform that's going to uh, take credit for sales that that effectively didn't actually come through that platform. So Facebook is is a little finicky these days. So there's certain things that I do as a as a growth marketer to make sure that we're we're reading the right data, which really does have a lot to do with when you launch an ad and and what else is happening within your site. We have press that's going to be going live today. Um, Aaron is posting, we're posting, and this campaign will will launch, um, you know, it's really a three-week launch all in. So exciting. Well, I talk about your experience as a growth marketer. When we last talked, it was back in March. You were really um, excited about the opportunity to kind of flex your your skills as a brand marketer as well. Um, yeah. First of all, yeah. What are you bringing into this new newer venture? Um, how important is that? Um, I guess as a smaller company and not having to really invest big in in some sort of a C suite. Uh, marketing person you you've got you've got it yourself um tell me about that 
Yeah, my experience is a, I have 15 years of experience as a growth marketer. Um, so I've held executive roles in companies like, you know, Anita Bing, I was the CMO, um, you know, from Carbon 38, Bandier, my, and most of my focus in my career has been on growth marketing across all channels. Um, so really as, you know, I think there's, there's, there used to be two different kinds of marketers. There was a growth marketer who's always seen as very analytical, uh, the person who's behind the scenes reading the numbers, the person who's deciding, you know, what percentage of revenue is going to be driven through which channels and what's the ROI against that revenue. And then typically, you know, three to five years ago, there was a brand marketer and the brand marketer was really focused on what's the, what's the overall brand message to the consumer from a copy perspective, certainly an imagery perspective. And for companies that are direct, uh, and I think, specifically for companies that are direct to consumer, those positions really have to merge. And I think that, you know, within my career, the reason why I have been had successes has probably been because I've had a natural interest in both and I've loved both. But Dorsey is truly the first time that I've been able to lean into uh, being a brand marketer, being a creative director, uh, you know, overseeing a lot on the creative side and also being the person who's saying, you know, this is where our investment is from a paid marketing perspective. This is where our investment is from an affiliate perspective. We're, we're highly profitable on paid. So I think a lot of companies at this point are pulling back from paid because they're not seeing the return that they used to see. Um, although I would argue that in actuality, the numbers that we're seeing now from a paid perspective are probably what they always were. It's just that, you know, the, the Facebook look back has has changed. Um, so I, I think a seven day attribution window is 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 probably giving us all the real numbers we had all along. Um, but without going into those details, the the role of a of a marketer at this point, you have to understand how uh, how creative drives revenue and how revenue is impacted by creative. And that is the key to a lot of success about, about behind brands today because, uh, because marketing moves so quickly and it's frankly changing so fast. And creative, uh, creative is the battlefield. When you talk about marketing moving quickly, um, this campaign that launched today, like, what's the shelf life? How how often? How long? For how long are we going to see Aaron Wasson wearing Dorsey in your ads? I would say that you'll see Aaron Wasson wearing Dorsey in our ads anywhere from two weeks to six months. It's really difficult at this time for it's it's hard to say. You know a. I would tell you that a lot of our, from a paid perspective, our imagery, we shoot into new imagery three to four times a month. So we assume that our imagery and our creative is going to run its course very quickly. And that within that series of imagery or video, we're going to have some that just naturally sort of rises uh, and and has a real longevity to it that we'd never 
we would never assume. I think also that for brands today, and certainly for us, you're always surprised by what works and you're always surprised by what the customer responds to. And you feel really good about yourself, you know, when you get it right, it's ah, I knew it. And then sometimes you get it absolutely wrong and what they gravitate towards is different. And I think that, uh, you know, there's a rawness that that consumers are looking for based on the type of platforms that we all spend so much time scrolling through today. So we really enjoy not focusing on an overproduced shoot. We really focus on shoots that feel on brand and that can move quickly. And that's what we've done, you know, since the beginning of time um, for the for the company, which used to be out of a budget necessity. Uh, and now is, uh, is really, you know, I've, I have been or run very large shoots and I can tell you that the way that we do shoots is absolutely, you know, part of what's made us successful and, uh, and the platforms that we're marketing on today, they're really, uh, they work well with the type of creative that I like to, that I like to bring the brand to life through. Yeah. What is this creative team you're working with? Are these all in-house? Have you got this like a well-oiled machine? You know, I would say that about 80% of the creative comes through through me. So we do really small shoots. Um, I still, we have a few photographers that we've worked with since the very beginning. Uh, I have a brand director that's always working alongside me. I do all of the creative direction prior to being on set and, and on set. Uh, the way that we shoot is slightly differently. So I work really closely with a photographer on shots. I tend to shoot with actually with Aaron, we shot the entire campaign iPhone first. I would sort of decide this is the shot I'm looking for. This is the angle. Then I would shoot video on my iPhone and then I would work with the um, photographer and the videographer to make sure that we were getting the perspective that we wanted specifically. So it's, uh, you know, we, we have a very specific lens that we shoot through and we spend a lot of time making sure that that's, that's right. And a lot of the creative comes directly through me. Cool. Well, you mentioned with Erin kind of giving her uh, free reign to kind of style herself. Um, back again when we talked, you were talking about moving kind of some of the budget from the Facebook and the Instagram ads to more um, allowing influencers to do their thing, putting more investment in influencers. Um, you had wanted to to grow your ambassador program to drive 30 to 40% of the business. Um, yeah. To what extent are you leveraging influencers, maybe user-generated content? So we have a, I should say we're growing right now, a pretty robust uh, brand ambassador program working directly with, I, I, I don't really call them influencers anymore. I really call them advertisers. I think that that advertisers is advertisers or publishers, depending on the day, I'm, I'm sort of not sure which, which they are, but I feel that, um, you know, the former influencer is as um, that title used to exist versus what what influencers have become today are just a very important piece of growing a company. And I I truly see them as advertisers. So our internal term for them, um, which which we think is is the right word, is advertisers. And we work with uh, quite a few affiliate advertisers. Uh, 
And we're growing that revenue stream very quickly. Okay, great. How many are we talking? I'd have to get back to you on that, but <laughs> we, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, I'm really excited about, about what we're going to be able to do with it. And, you know, we spend a lot of time with these partners. So they come to LA, we meet with them in our offices. I, you know, I fly to meet them and, and see them personally. I think that we see them as an extension of the brand. You know, we've, we've really got to know them well and we see it as a, as a very mutual relationship. Uh, we we are not really gifting at this point anymore. We're we're really moving out of a out of a gifting zone, and we're focusing on very intentional partnerships, which I think feel really really uh, forward thinking from from both sides. So you're scouting these people out. Does it have to do with almost price point of your product? Why just throwing a product out there probably doesn't make as much sense for you as for maybe, um, uh, I would say a cheap, cheaper brand. You know, I think it's a lot of our brand ambassadors come directly to us. So we have, yeah, we have a, a, we have a lot, um, that we're, that we're starting to work with right now, but a lot of them come to us. I think that it's, you know, one thing I, I really really don't believe in, uh, as a founder is posting something and tagging it and that, that post going away. I think that the consumer is, she's really smart now, you know, she wants to know, uh, and ads are much more obvious. I think that the consumer that we're trying to reach the community, what we're trying to reach, we want to work with, um, with people who wear Dorsey and would wear Dorsey whether they were a brand ambassador for us or not. So when we, if we reach out to someone or if they reach out to us, we look at it as, you know, why don't we send you some pieces? Why don't you come into office? We want you to look at the quality. We want to make sure that these are exactly what you would wear. We would, you know, never tell somebody or send someone something without them wanting that piece. I think it's important for us that they feel like a natural extension of the brand because the brand is something that they that they love. And a lot of our brand ambassadors have started as customers. Very cool. Well, talk about your, uh, I guess, your path to founder. Um, I, we have a lot of founders or budding founders and um, entrepreneurs who listen to the podcast and just kind of probably wondering, like, when is it best to make that leap? Um, I think as, I don't know if you would describe it this way, but I just think it yours wasn't really a leap. It's kind of like a gradual, yeah. <laughs> gradual jump. Yeah. Mine was my, my path to founder was, was not a leap. It was a really, it was a, it was a gradual, uh, it was a, it was a, I call it a parallel path. So if you think of it as, you know, uh, the, no one who's listening to this will be able to see the visual that I'm giving with my hands. But, um, I, so when I started Dorsey, I had had a, you know, 14, 15 year career in growing direct to consumer businesses with e-commerce for some truly incredible, uh, truly incredible companies based in New York and Los Angeles. And the, reality for my life financially, which is a massive part of starting a company, was that I wanted to start a brand. And I also was, I actually went out to raise money in 2019, late 2019, when I started the company. And, um, and 
I wasn't able to raise money prior to the brand having traction, which was, uh, which was fascinating for me because I met with a lot of incredible VCs. I was told you have the exact resume of a founder that we would invest into, but all of them really told me, you know, we don't, we don't really know the jewelry market. And, um, so in, in September of 2019, I joined girlfriend collective as the vice president of growth across all channels. And I took on the role on a full-time consulting basis. So I was nine to five with girlfriend running growth across all of their channels. And uh, I started to moonlight Dorsey at night and on weekends, you know, essentially running the company when I wasn't doing my full-time job. So, um, by March 2020, I had been with Girlfriend Collective for six, seven months, and I I was starting to ramp up in Dorsey, um, and the pandemic hit. And I had originally planned with the CEO of Girlfriend to be there for about six months. Um, I had told them, you know, I can, I can, I, you know, I, I will be here full time. Let's do a six month contract. Let's see how it goes. And, you know, I told them I wanted to work on some other, other projects. And, uh, and then when the pandemic hit and, and I think most companies, certainly one of my size and one of girlfriend's size, you know, I think everyone is trying to figure out what happens from here. How do you run a business through a pandemic? What happens to your supply chain? What do consumers want? It was a, it was a really fascinating place to, um, to be. And, uh, and a, a very odd place. Obviously, most of nobody had ever been through that. So I took, um, I decided that I was going to go forward with Dorsey full on, full steam ahead. We had seen traction with the business, but in March 2020, I didn't, I sort of assumed I was going to go out of business. Um, and, and, and Girlfriend Collective was on a, a trajectory that was just truly impressive and, and has always continued to be. And I spent the next uh, year and a half, almost two years, building the company uh, by myself while working full time for other businesses so that I could pay for um, my house and my daughter's school and, and groceries and um, and then inventory and models and photographers. And uh, I didn't have a, a single in employee in the business except me until October of, um, of 2021. And we were, uh, over a seven figure business at that point. So I always say that I need a lot of therapy and, um, and I listened to a lot of podcasts about, you know, entrepreneurs because it was a, quite the journey through a pandemic. And then, you know, I, I shipped all of those orders myself. So I know the people at USPS very well, but, um, you know, I, I, it's difficult to start a company and it's financially feels, uh, impossible. And we started with, I think I started the company with $600 and then I put in another thousand dollars and we just grew slowly over time. And I, I created the business by working other jobs at the same time. And I felt 
you know, I, I felt that I was the only founder that was out there doing that. And, uh, and I didn't talk about it much through my Instagram or I didn't share that story because I always felt like, I think when you go out to raise money and then you can't raise money, you feel that there's something wrong with your company. And, uh, I always say it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I ended up with a profitable business that I could run very lean and, uh, we had such an incredible response from our customers and stylists and celebrities before I could afford to pay for publicity or, um, or I mean, any, really any type of uh, support, which, which helped me realize that no, I, this, this has, this is, this can be a substantial business. And, uh, but it was incredibly lonely. Did it take that initial investment? Tell me about that coming through to kind of give you the confidence, give you wings, whatever you want to call it, um, take you to the next level. No, it didn't. Uh, I was going to move forward sort of with or without. So, um, you know, we, we were very profitable. We've been profitable every year since I started the company, but we were very profitable in 2021. I think that when you think about taking on investment, you know, my, my investor, my, uh, my largest investor, my only investor is, uh, Nakoth, uh, three, which is run by the, the family office of, Ashley Merrill and Mark Merrill. Ashley Merrill is the founder and CEO of Lunia and the chairman of the board of Outdoor Voices. She and I are very aligned with how to grow a business uh, at, at this sort of in this climate. And, you know, I think that a lot of there's a lot of companies who take on a substantial amount of venture capital investment and they look at top line growth. She and I were very aligned from the beginning that profitability is, uh, it needs to, profitability and top line revenue growth have a very specific relationship. And I think that my relationship to it and how I'm growing the business, it's certainly very different than most of the companies that I've worked for before. For sure. I think that um, you told me that you had reached out to her on a DM. Um, That's confident. Like you obviously didn't, (laughs) you're lacking it. Uh, no, you know, I, I, yes, I, there was a certain point in the business uh, where I felt really, I feel, I and do feel very confident about what we're doing and, and how we're doing it. I think that there's a lot of manufactured confidence in the beginning. Um, but I, you know, I have, I have been in the, in the, for lack of a better term, sort of the bowels of a lot of different companies, companies that are substantially backed by, you know, renowned venture capitalists. I, I have seen, you know, I've seen the PLs. I've been a part of them. I've been the person who's reporting on them. So I have a really deep understanding of what makes a healthy business and also one that's seeing the type of growth that's going to have longevity. So a lot of my confidence in Dorsey comes from the comparisons that I'm able to make from working in other companies. And, uh, and that's been really critical, especially as we've, as we've had inbound for fundraising today or, or, um, you know, really sort of, especially going through the next, you know, the next couple of years ahead of us. Um, I, I feel really confident in the decisions that we're making, um, which is, which is maybe 
which is, you know, which is where the confidence comes from. But Ashley and I were actually connected because, uh, not because of Dorsey. So we, um, I had like, I wear a lot of Lunia. I've always worn a lot of Lunia. A friend of her friend said, Oh, there's this, you know, there's this girl on Instagram who, who tags Lunia a lot. Have you seen her? And, and we, we, through the pandemic, we're going back and forth about things that, you know, moms talk about or fashion or, you know, I, whatever any DM and relationship would look like. And then we went for a hike, but that, uh, that hike was sort of just, Hey, we're two women in this industry. I, it, it was my furthest thought would be that she would, um, she would become uh, an investor. I love it. Well, tell me after, gosh, releasing some of the <laughs> day to day to like new hires, like it literally, I think more than anybody that I've talked to, it's like, it's your baby. Like you've done everything to what were the first hires you made? And like, what was the process of kind of delegating and, and ensuring that you're able to, to grow and, and to enable others to help you, I guess. The first hire that I brought on was my brand director. And she was really critical because since I'm so involved on the, you know, within brand and production and design and growth marketing, and I sit across every single part of the business, um, I wanted to bring somebody on who understood my vision so that I could hand off to her, you know, different campaign strategies. I could, here's the campaign here's what I want to shoot. Can you go off and sort of help me fine tune all of these details so that we, you know, I can, I can bring this together and we can, and we can get things done as a team. We brought in graphic designers, customer service, um, and, you know, operations, I would say is, is the biggest piece that you want in place to scale a business. We are scaling much faster than I even thought we would this year. So our, our deep focus right now is really within operations and supply chain. Uh, we have substantial wait lists for our pieces and uh, we are having a very difficult time keeping things in stock. So my focus is, is really operationally, you know, what are our operations over the next couple of years and, and fine tuning everything that sits underneath that headline. Right on. Well, I was, again, on your site. And I know for um, anything, I guess, the tennis styles, like the necklaces and the bracelets, hard to come by. Definitely seeing a lot of sold out. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're coming is that- back today, actually. We're doing a huge restock today. No, you know, over the last several months, we've had uh, like four, three to four months, we've had thousands of people that are rolling into and off of our wait list. So we're selling out of product on pre-order and then those wait lists are, are building pretty quickly, which, which is, uh, which is a, I guess it's a great problem to have, but it is one that we're trying to solve right away. Yeah. Does that require, I guess, more investment, like to, again, build out the back end in terms of production? Um, and maybe does that impact your marketing strategy to pulling back? We are not looking for additional investment at this time. Um, we are really focused on, you know, scaling the business out. We have the ability to, to grow substantially from here. And, uh, you know, we, we focus on profitability. So I think that it's, it's very different for a company that's trying to find their path of profitability 
than to be one that has already found it. So we're, we, we really look at the details and um, all of the decisions that we make at core are, are with that in mind, especially in this climate, you know, where things like uh, inventory are, uh, are very important to, to your business, um, you know, how your business moves through probably the next two years, I would say. Uh, so a lot of our focus is on inventory management and understanding demand and the relationship between demand and inventory. Um, you know, from a marketing perspective, I would say that we tend to speed channels up and slow them down based on what's working well. And, um, and, and we're looking to open new channels uh, all the time. But because we haven't had an inventory glut, there's really so much that we've, that we've yet to discover. For sure. How long is she willing to wait? Or um, does this just require constant communication, maybe customer service with, with email or other? I would say that we have people who are willing to wait up to six months. Um, that's what we've seen. We've, our goal is, is not for it to be that long. You know, I think that most of our, our pre-sale pieces, we, we try to have them in stock within, you know, here within four to six weeks. The last couple of years through the pandemic, there are supply chain things that come up or everything is handmade, you know, by real human beings. So any type of, you know, over the, over the series of new strains, the last couple of years, we have certainly not been immune like so many other companies to having a delay here or there, but we're, we're, we're in a pretty good space now in terms of um, what we're going to be doing the next six months. Great. Tell me about your belief in the direct-to-consumer channel. I know that you started with retailers, opted out, went full direct. Is that is that where it where it's at for you? We so I started the brand with a couple of wholesale partners in at the end of you know November December 2019, and in March 2020 when the world of wholesale came probably not to a standstill, but certainly for companies who were who were shipping product to wholesalers and then needing to um, retrieve funds for those orders, it became a little bit murky. Uh, I decided that you know, as a company at that point, if we were shipping orders and we were needing to wait for payment beyond what was within our contracts, it would have put me out of business. There was no way for me to have thousands of dollars of POs that that I, you know, I wasn't able to uh, retrieve funds for. And, you know, I think that the wholesale model is is really pivoting. You know, there's a lot. The pandemic has brought forward. You know, I think brands in a sense have a lot more control. Um, you know, I think that they can ask for things they maybe weren't asking for before. But I decided in March 2020 that we would move forward as a direct as a direct brand. We are I think we're we're considering if we would ever do wholesale and and what would that look like and there's some conversations that are that are are coming up and that we're talking through right now. Uh, but I, you know, my 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 almost entire career is in direct to consumer businesses. I think that it's an incredible channel and I think that you know, we're looking at storefronts at this point and, and other ways to really sort of own all of our channels and, and wholesale may be 
uh, a piece of that at a point. Got it. What are your plans for owned retail? Retail is a really exciting place for us to explore. So we are going to be sharing more about that over the next several months. Um, you know, I think that we will, my, my, you know, dream is really to be in, you know, probably five to 10 cities and the next, um, the next several months. And, and, you know, I think we're all discovering together what's the climate going to look like under, you know, under the circumstances, how does retail perform and what does that look like? That's really anybody's guess. Um, but I have, you know, I have to say, I've really enjoyed going back into stores. We have so many customers that reach out to us and ask, you know, can I see this in store? I'm not sure which length is right for me. Um, so I, I will, uh, I'll be able to share more soon, but you'll be seeing us, uh, you will be seeing us in, in, in storefronts, um, soon, probably permanent and probably pop-ups as well. Oh, great. Back when we talked, you mentioned the idea, and I don't know if that's still out there, of potentially doing like a try-before-you-buy program. Is that still, I don't know, in the cards? I would say that we just don't have the inventory right now to absorb that. I'm a really big fan of, of try-before-you-buy, but I would say logistically, I'm holding on it for now because our, you know, our our demand is, you know, every everything that we have is is going straight out the door. So I think try before you buy is a is great for so many different types of companies. At this exact moment for us, it's uh, it's it's probably going to have to wait a few months. Well, let's just talk about during the pandemic, the the last two two and a half years. Like, was this all surprising to you? I know that your brand was referenced in a story Liz Flora on my team did about like. The return of like silver and going out and disco. <laughs> it, it, there's definitely a, a look like the, you want to wear this to go out and be sexy. Um, but were you surprised people were buying into it, into your brand uh, while they were at home? I think, to be honest with you, that I was so overwhelmed by what was happening in the world and just trying to be a, a human on the planet, understanding, you know, how to move forward that it at the beginning I was surprised um, because I, I'm this I'm so close to everything every single day. And also I was, you know, interestingly, I was uh, an executive within an athleisure company. So I was seeing what was happening with athleisure at the time as, uh, you know, I was I was at Girlfriend Collective. The athleisure space was just massively blowing up and was such an exciting, such an exciting thing to watch. And from a marketing perspective, really interesting because, you know, the way you were marketing your, you, you were no longer marketing to people outside of what they would actually be doing and something they were buying. So there was a, there was a marketing pivot that was a, a really unique challenge. Um, and from, you know, from the perspective of Dorsey, I would say that really quickly, it, it made sense to me. You know, so we're all at home on Zoom, looking at ourselves on Zoom cameras every day. And we've been thrown out of all of the things that make us feel like there's structure to our day and make us feel pulled together. And I think that everyone, you know, at the beginning was trying to figure out how, how do I, okay, I'm at my kitchen table again, drinking my cup of coffee. And am I showering? Am I getting dressed? Am I, am I, am I getting dressed from, you know, the top up? Am I wearing sweatpants? Are we like, what are we doing in this state? 
Um, and it wasn't just that we were working from home at that point. There was a real heaviness to the, to not understanding the virus. And, you know, I always, not to, to be dark, but I, one of my core memories from, from, you know, sorry, March probably through June, it was death counts on, on TV. So, like I, I, I'm absolutely sure that, you know, we were all impacted mentally in a way that we're still trying to understand. So I think that a few things happened for the consumer. We got to a place where we all wanted to wake up and feel dressed and create normalcy for ourselves in front of a screen and to feel that we had some type of control in creating structure to our day and structure to feeling like ourselves, whatever that meant. I think the beauty industry obviously had a really great year too. Um, then I think that, you know, jewelry is something that you're going to wear every single day. So you wake up, you put it on, you probably sleep in it. It's something you can change easily. And uh, that coupled with the fact that, um, you know, jewelry is, it is shiny and sparkly and it comes in cute small packages and it feels light and it feels delightful to open up those types of packages. And that was, you know, something that I think we all, we all kind of love to have. I had, I, I had uh, been listening to something. I'll never forget this. And and someone said, oh, thank God for fashion, like through the pandemic, because it really got me through. And I thought, you know, I think I think that there's some truth to that. You know, I think that when things feel heavy, that you look for moments that are are delightful and jewelry, you know, jewelry and sparkle and Riviera necklace and tennis bracelets. They have a way of feeling um, lovely. And and I think that. um you know, that, that was a big piece of, of what happened. People wanted to women and we wanted to feel beautiful and we wanted to feel pulled together. And, and jewelry has, has done that for many, many years. I love that. Did that go into your thought process for maybe even, um, packaging where it even feels like a gift to me? Yes. <laughs> I'm about the packaging. Yes. Well, I, the packaging journey has really been a journey. Let me tell you, um, any type of packaging has probably been one of the hardest things over the last couple of years. Um, you know, the, their last December, we, you know, we barely had packaging. It was, it was stuck in a cargo cargo ship. And, um, I think packaging is really important. I think that the way that somebody receives a piece is really important. I, I'm a very big believer that you should have packaging. You're going to wear it and you're going to put it back into, and you're going to slide it into your drawer. Um, so we spend a lot of time on the details. I think that the details are really what set a brand apart. I love it. Well, we are out of time. I swear I could just talk to you. I love the concept of blood, sweat, tears, like no limits to the amount of work you will do. Anyway, I just love oh, your style. I love your journey. style. <laughs> yes. It's been but a journey. Me, <laughs> tell me about, gosh, your, the next 12 months for the brand. Retail is what we can expect. Uh, what else can we watch for? You know, I, I think what you, what I'm so excited about for the next 12 months is really a rapid expansion of the collection. Uh, and from a, you know, I, I really live and breathe creative. It's the reason why I wanted to work in fashion. Fashion is my, is my longest love affair. 
And uh, I'm very excited about, you know, some of the photographers we're going to be working with, some, you know, models, but really bringing product to life through um, through some very interesting initiatives that I, I hope people will love. Beyond Aaron, like, I mean, there was Bella, there was Justin, who made you go, ee, to see wearing your brand. <laughs> Oh, you know what? Every time anyone wears my brand, I'm, I'm, I I have that moment because when you started something from your garage by yourself, you, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, it, it it feels like, wow, I, I'm so, uh, I, I can't believe this person loves this. Um, there's not one single person. I would say that we're a company where there hasn't been one moment that's brought us to where we are today. There wasn't you know, one thing that happened, Justin Bieber, uh, you know, actually I was, I was excited that, um, Justin Bieber reopened his tour last night in Italy and he was wearing Dorsey. And I thought that was such an incredible show. He was, you know, back on the stage and that, that I thought was, was amazing. And Bella Hadid was, she was a total surprise on the red carpet of the, at the red carpet of the Met Gala. And, uh, you know, we've just, it was a very big moment when uh, Taylor Swift wore us in red, Taylor's version. So we've had these moments that were culturally big moments, celebrity-wise, and uh, and we didn't pay for any of them. You know, they we we were we got to be part of those moments, and I'm I'm very grateful for all of the people who have been supporting us and tagging us from day one, from our customers to you know celebrities who who do the same. Meg, I am a Swifty and I did not even know that Taylor wore oh, Dorsey. I'm Hello. I am such a Swifty. There she has some TikTok videos with her with her wearing Dorsey. No, I'm I'm a very big I'm a very big fan as well. Right on. Well, congratulations on all your success. So excited to see where you take the brand next. Thanks for being here, Meg, and for sticking around extra. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to see you again. That's all for this episode. Our theme music is by Otis McDonald. Be sure to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to The Glossy Podcast. See you next week.